architects were sort of difficult and hard to come by. They, they did mostly the large commercial buildings, but as far as residences, it was rare to be designed by an architect, so they were sort of designed by their owners or builders. And that's why the name Charpentier was applied to the district. Charpentier is the French word for carpenter. Thanks for joining us on Louisiana's Playground Podcast, your roadmap to all things Lake Charles, Louisiana. I'm Brady Reynard. And I'm Anna Strider. We're excited today as we bring you episode number 19, where we are talking about the amazing stories that are here in Southwest Louisiana. And we are taking a deep dive and talking about the Charpentier Historic District with Adley Cormier today. Who I believe might be one of the most knowledgeable people in the entire area, especially in his field, when it comes to Lake Charles history, I, I would put him up against anyone. Just overall, a wealth of knowledge, and he uh, allows us to kind of partake in some of that in the episode. So it is a information-packed listen. I'm really excited for today's conversation. But before we get started with that, we're going to start as we always do in each episode, and that is with our Taste of Southwest Louisiana, which we call On the Eats. This week, On V Eats takes us to yet another Lake Charles staple for nearly two decades. They celebrate 20 years next year, and that is Luna Bar and Grill. If you've been to Lake Charles, you've probably swung by at some point. They have a downtown location that has been really, really successful. So successful, in fact, that they've spawned another restaurant out of town and just now another one right off Nelson Road on Oak Crossing called Luna South. I will say that when I came to Lake Charles as a visitor for the first time, Luna Bar and Grill was my first stop for brunch. And then, of course, when I brought family and friends back over to visit me, it's always a number one on the list as being a downtown resident. So it was absolutely imperative that we paired it today with the conversation about the historic Charpentier district. I know that when you walk into Luna, it's got this really unique feeling to it, especially the downtown location. It's out of this world. It really is, both literally and figuratively. For owners Dave and Nan Evans, it really is all about the music, and that's how they came up with this theme and the title of the restaurant and the name of the restaurant being Luna Bar and Grill, and it all spawned from their favorite band, Widespread Panic. As far as what they serve there, it really is a focus on seafood, but not in the same way that you see other Southwest Louisiana restaurants focused on seafood. Their big sellers is the tuna. Luna tuna. It rhymes and it's also really delicious. Tuna steaks, which is just an unbelievable cut of fish. They do the Luna tuna, which is kind of a lemon sauce. They do the dragon tuna, which is a little spicier. Those are two of my personal favorites. They also serve soups and salads and sandwiches, as well as some more traditional fried food dishes. Yeah, like you said, they're known for their tuna, and I order it exactly as a chef prepares it, which is a medium rare every time when I get the Neptuna melt. And today was no different. I thought about going a different route and trying something else, which I have a few different times, but this particular sandwich is just absolutely amazing. It comes on the jalapeno bun and has pickles on it. The, uh, the sauce that is just so particular, it's lightly based on the bread and uh, there's a provolone cheese and it's all on top of this perfectly cooked tuna steak. But that's not all that we got this time. We also got the spinach artichoke dip. And I must say, for me, this type of dip can be a hit or miss, but the one at Luna Bar and Grill is 
phenomenal. The chips that they put on the side, you can just tell that they are homemade from the way that they break in the palm of your hands. The dip is like a thicker dip, but not too thick. And it's got the perfect amount of flavoring in it and just spreads across the chips perfectly. I'm dreaming about it right now. Yeah, they give you the big spoon and that really is just to smear it all over that chip. You want every bite to have that spinach, artichoke, and cheese goodness. As far as my entree, I went with the Redfish Apollo. Typically, I do as Anna does, and I get the tuna as well. Not the tuna melt, but I typically just get the dragon tuna or the luna tuna. But today, I went with the Redfish Apollo, which is a fried piece of fish with fried shrimp on top. And underneath it is a crab meat au gratin sauce, very buttery, and it's over that. There's avocado on top of the fish as well with some mashed potatoes. They have garlic cheese mashed potatoes there on the side. You can get the fish fried or grilled, but it's all grilled to perfection, has a beautiful crunch to it, a great flavor. Each piece just kind of beckons you to grab the next as you dip it into the au gratin sauce, maybe even put a little bit of it on top of the mashed potatoes, which... You know, you have to do. Of course. And just overall, such a delicious, delicious seafood dinner. And we've talked about it a little bit, but Nan and Dave, they have been in the restaurant business for so many years now. They've raised their family in the business, and they have two unique locations, both in downtown that is that community staple. People have been going there for nearly two decades, and just... uh, part of the community that everyone has a memory of. And now they've brought that same atmosphere over to Lake Charles south of town, which like Brady mentioned, it's right down Nelson. So if you're at one of the casino resorts, it is a straight shot down Nelson Road. And you're going to find it right there in Oak Crossing, which is also a beautiful wedding venue in that area and has a boutique bridal shop. So just a great part of town to expand their business and to welcome you in with the that atmosphere that you can absolutely only get at Luna Bar and Grill. So head on over to the Luna Bar and Grill location, either downtown or south of town. Either one, you won't go wrong. And let us know what you think. From a great meal to a great guest, we welcome on Adley Cormier, a local historian that studied and shared the unique history of Lake Charles and Southwest Louisiana for nearly five decades. Educated at LSU and with over 35 years of staff experience with the Department of Labor, he brings a singular insight to the workings of this corner of Louisiana. He's written hundreds of articles for newspapers and magazines. He's a published author of two books on area history, and he's been consulted on projects with the New York Times, Southern Living, Voice of America, Louisiana Life, C-SPAN, and the LPB. Welcome to the show, Adley. Well, thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Adley, we're so excited to have you on the show today. We know that we talk about so many of the great things that Lake Charles and Southwest Louisiana has to offer, and from our big city amenities to our natural waterways, and today is an opportunity to really talk about the history and what makes that small town charm and that energy so vibrant here and strong. So this is going to be a really great conversation, but before we get started, we're going to ask you a few questions to get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. These are big ones here, okay? So the first one, crawfish or gumbo? Gumbo. Gumbo. What kind of gumbo? Oh, well, seafood. (laughs) (laughs) Get the best of both worlds. So I always ask, are you someone that believes there's a gumbo season? Uh, No. Gumbo season begins on the 1st of January and ends on the 31st of December. Uh, You know, uh, that's fair. I I would go with that. I think that's a fair statement, yeah. I'm getting shirts made one day, 
and all of our guests that that have that go with me, you'll get one. Don't worry. <laughs> it's always gumbo season. It's always gumbo season. Why not? We had gumbo last night, actually. I got through and I had my full plate and I was like, cool. And then they're like, do you want a bowl of gumbo? And of course I wasn't going to be, you know, in my head, I'm like, no, you don't need that, man. But I look at him like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, actually. I, I need that bowl of gumbo. Load it up. Load it up. Absolutely. All right. The next one. Poolside or beachside? Beachside. Beachside, why? That's what I choose as well. Well, first off, you have a better uh, opportunity to interact with the real world. I mean, you can actually go uh, shelling. And that's one of the things that people don't realize you can do in southwest Louisiana. You can actually shell, and there's some interesting shells out there. Uh, Flotsam and Jetsam that come across the the, uh, the natural beaches here could be really amazing. Uh, my uh, late wife once found a whole treasure trove of bits of tile that had been used in houses that were destroyed in Hurricane Audrey. And she created a couple of pieces of art. Uh, she calls those pieces Dunn Beach Salvage. And it shows that, you know, even something that has been destroyed can be creatively reused. And so there, there's that metaphor. So absolutely beachside. So our final question, and this one's a difficult one as well. Concert or comedy show? <sighs> Concert. I thought you were going to say comedy show for some reason. Well, the the the, the problem with with comedy shows in 2023 is that they tend to, to end up being a little nasty and sometimes political and sometimes uh, uh, and I'm not I'm not against it. I do go to comedy shows occasionally, but I remember that uh, one of our native uh, comedians, uh, Jan Cobra, once did a comedy show that was so wildly funny. It was unbelievably funny talking about her kindergarten teacher. Unfortunately, her kindergarten teacher was sitting right next to me, so uh, I always <laughs> oh, wonder. No. I always wonder about about uh, you know the the propriety of that. Uh, uh, the the thing is, you you're sort of inhibited if you know that they're there. And I knew that her kindergarten teacher was sitting right next to me, and uh, Jan was unbelievably funny. But it was a grand thing to watch her her. Oh, I, I'm so proud. Look at my my former student, and then all of a sudden, it was like. <gasps> she was part of the show. So, yeah, it's a lot safer to go to a, a concert. I mean, the, the symphony here certainly produces some wonderful things, and uh, Masterworks produces wonderful things, and, the, you know, the community theaters do fabulous work, too. And so, uh, you know, you kind of expect what to expect. Well, this is a good time for us to plug our event calendar that does list those symphony acts as well as the, some of those large concerts at the casino resorts. But a lot of those local musicians are, are at our restaurants performing or at some of the large festivals as well. So a little plug there for the Visit Lake Charles yeah, always, events always, calendar. Always check with uh, Visit Lake Charles because you'll find out what's really going on in town and where you can devote some time and energy to uh, discovering the wonderful things that make Southwest Louisiana a good place to live. Well, if our listeners uh, aren't aware of by now, Mr. Cormier is obviously a wealth of knowledge for numerous subjects, one of which is the reason that he's here today, which would be the uh, Charpentier Historic District and all that it really encompasses within uh, Lake Charles and Calcasieu Parish. And in fact, I think that's where is a good place for our conversation to start. How did Calcasieu Parish and the Charpentier District really come to be as a whole? Well, if we begin with Calcasieu Parish's beginnings, uh, you have to remember the western part of Louisiana for a long time was uh, was no man's land, really. It was uh, uh, sort of unclaimed territory. But by the time of um, the 1820s, um, uh, the parish of 
St. Landry was where we are physically located. It was the parish of St. Landry. And th that was an enormous, enormous area. We're talking about almost 17,000 square miles. And so in 1840, in order to better serve the citizens of the southwest corner of Louisiana, the parish of Calcasieu was created. And it, at that point, it was much bigger than it is today. It was five, the five civil parishes of Allen Borgard, Calcasieu, Cameron, and Jeff Davis. It was huge. It was about 7,000 square miles but very low in population. The first settlers here uh, came for uh, very, various reasons. It was sort of a remote area, prairies and marshes out here, uh, the Leblues, the Saliers, the Barbs, and so forth, who came to this area, came here in order to raise cattle generally. That was the very, very first industry here was cattle raising. And then a little later on, uh, the lumber industry came into play because there were huge stands of pine and cypress in in this area. And that's the direction that we will take, the pine and cypress. Um, in the, uh, by the 1820s, uh, we actually have sawmills that are on the Cal on Lake, Calcasieu Lake and uh, Moss Lake and other lakes around here. Uh, and they were uh, operating what we call pit saws, where a tree was felled and then uh, it was brought over a hole and then there was a guy put in the hole and a guy above and they literally sawed up and down the guy at the bottom must have been horrible, uh, uh, but uh, uh, a horrible situation. But anyway, they, they had those pit saws in order to make the rough planks that were used by uh, uh, by the early pioneers in order to build homes. Uh, when the uh, the Germans came in, uh, Goss and his bunch, in the 1830s and, and uh, 1840s, they brought the steam engine to operate the sawmills, and so the production of lumber just, I mean, it trebled. It was unbelievable. And uh, it really began to be such a, a, an important commodity that uh, it was not only used to build the houses that we see in the Charpentier district, but also as a, a, a material for export. And a lot of the lumber here, the pine and cypress, was sent out to Galveston by schooner or sent out to to Brazier City, New Orleans, Panama City, to other places along the Gulf Coast in order to build those communities. And occasionally, even today, you can see remnants of, of Calcasieu longleaf pine uh, stamped into the wood in, in various locations, if you, if you ask. And there's always been that sort of connection. But anyway, the lumbering industry is what, what uh, um, brought the Charpentier District into play. Uh, it was used for the construction of homes, and we're talking about a variety of homes. Uh, the Charpentier District is a, a, a group of neighborhoods. There are, you know, high-end neighborhoods. There are middle-income neighborhoods. There are, are, are workingmen uh, uh, neighborhoods there, but they all have one thing in common: the houses built between, say, 1860 and uh, and I say 1860 because there's very little that is in Calcasieu Parish that is before 1860 at, at this point. Um, uh, to the 1930s, uh, particularly in the area, the 40 or so blocks on either side of Broad Street uh, uh, farms the Charpentier district. And there's a variety of styles of houses there. There are a variety of sizes of houses there, designs. It's an amazing collection of, of what Victorian America saw as what makes a house. And you'll see different types and styles of houses in that whole, in that whole district. Um, and it is for that reason that, that uh, the uh, National Register uh, viewed it as important to telling the story of Lake Charles. And that's what 
uh, historic districts are. When, when your historic district is, is recognized by the National Register, it means that it's on the nation's list of historic places. It's important to telling the story of Lake Charles. It's also important to telling the story of Louisiana, the story of the lumber industry, and um, that's how we, we, we perceive it. Um, we don't have uh, much in the way of, of uh, direct evidence of the lumbering industry. We don't have any sawmills because once they cut those trees, they moved on. Uh, we, so we don't have the sawmills, but we do have the documentation and the images of what Lake Charles was like from the 1840s up into the, 18, the 1920s when that was the period of, of the greatest lumbering boom in, in southwest Louisiana. It's an amazing, an amazing story to be told. I know. I'm a downtown Lake Charles resident. I live in the heart of the Charpentier District, and it really is the story. You're talking so much about the different building styles that it isn't just one. There's so much color in them. I think that's a big piece of it. You've got your lavenders and your reds and your yellows and intricate details in the gables and just all facades of the different homes. It really showcases the variety of people that came to Lake Charles to build this community in Southwest Louisiana. It did. There are, there are a lot of influences uh, that, that focus on, on um, what we see as Lake Charles architecture. Uh, the, uh, when the survey of the district was done, and uh, let, me, let me preface this by saying, whenever a, a national district is set up, there are architectural historians that come in and evaluate every single building that is in the proposed district, and they describe it and they define it. And um, uh, the uh, architectural historians were just amazed at the variety of structures in Lake Charles. And part of that was due to the fact that we were, we were sort of off the beaten path when it comes to uh, academically trained architects. A lot of the, the houses in the Charpentier district were built using what we call pattern books, which were available nationwide. And these were drawings and designs that you could copy. And uh, sometimes they came with the, the lumber that you ordered from your local mill. Sometimes you just buy them off the, the uh, uh, you know, from a, from a store. But the, the point was you could pat the pattern books allowed you to design your own house. And, um, yeah, this was a, a commonly used practice here in southwest Louisiana because architects were sort of difficult and hard to come by. They they did mostly the large, you know, large uh, commercial buildings, but as far as residences, it was rare for a, a residence to be designed by an architect, so they were sort of designed by their owners or builders. And that's why the name Charpentier was uh, applied to the district. Charpentier is the French word for carpenter. And it's um, because many of the carpenters that were building these houses spoke French as, as their lingua franca. Some of them, of course, were Acadians. Some of them were, were natural French people. Some of them were, were Syrians, even, who spoke French. But the, the point is that, that they, they were noted as the, the charpentier, the builder, is the one who, who, who designed this house. Um, part of it also gives us that great variety you talked about. Um, uh, one of the things that is a, a noteworthy point is that in Lake Charles there are many examples of what we call odd-numbered facades. Um, houses that ordinarily have four columns or six columns somewhere else in Lake Charles will have five columns or three columns because they seem to prefer it. It's not their academic standard, but it is a Lake Charles quirk. 
Uh, another like Charles Quirk is that there are hidden turrets and towers in various houses. And if you go by the Charpentier district and you walk through it, and you really need to walk through or drive very slowly through the Charpentier district, you can sometimes notice houses that have turrets and and towers and you wonder you know, what, what's up there is that a bedroom or an attic storage or whatever but that's another sort of like charles thing uh is the uh, uh the availability of towers and turrets and of course primarily it's houses built of wood not brick not stone but wood so the occasional brick house really causes all sorts of interest because that generally tells you that it was designed by somebody who might have been an, uh, an architect, and that's the case for a couple of the houses on Pugio Street and, and uh, a house on South Division, which were architect-designed houses, which makes them rare and unusual. But most of the houses were built of wood, wood that was actually harvested and uh, processed in Galaxy Parish, and that makes it kind of interesting and unique. It's not the ordinary case in most, in most uh, historic districts. Most historic districts are not farmed of products that were actually grown, harvested, uh, cut, processed, milled in, in, in Lake Charles. Um, one of the things that I, I do want to mention is that the variety of houses, for many people who are new to Lake Charles, they do not realize that some of the very large houses in the Charpentier District, particularly on Broad Street and uh, on some of the other Pugio and Kirby and some of those streets, uh, are known as Michigan Man Houses. And the Michigan Man House refers to houses that were constructed by uh, uh, in other parts of the South, we call them carpetbaggers, but in Lake Charles, we call them Michigan men because they came from the state of Michigan, which had pretty much uh, cut down most of their original pine trees, and they were looking for new forests to uh, to develop. And they came down here and invested, and uh, uh, some of the big prominent houses uh, that uh, that are documented Michigan man houses, the Nason House, uh, which is owned by the Cormans now, uh, the uh, Ramsey uh, a mansion, which is now a law office, uh, the Leak House, which is uh, a part of the, the downtown district. Uh, these were built essentially as showcase houses for these the owners of these mills or the investors of these mills. Some of them actually were designed to sort of showcase what the mill could do in terms of, of uh, the mill work, uh, the shutters, the windows, and so forth, the trim, uh, the siding, or the, the heavy uh, lumber. Uh, that was used to build it, the joists and, and the ceiling joists and floor joists and so forth, purlins and joints. Uh, they were all uh, the products of the local mills, and they were used to, ma to manufacture these structures because that would sort of showcase what their mill had to offer. And uh, these guys were really very, very creative in, in promoting their goods, uh, and uh, they did... Uh, send them out by rail, send out the lumber by rail, they sent out uh, by uh, schooner, sent out by steamer. Um, uh, they would sometimes specialize in particular areas. They would send out samples of the wood, which was kind of an interesting twist, which was something that wasn't done very very often. But they wanted to show the strength and the beauty of the, the lumber that was available here. Uh, one particular mill uh, emphasized the length and the durability of their large construction timbers. They're, they promoted that they could produce 10 by 14 lumber, which is huge, uh, 70 feet long, which was only possible when you had 800-year-old pine trees that were just coming down and, you know, 1,000-year-old cypresses that were just coming down. Uh, unfortunately, we, we've lost those pines and cypresses, but uh, we still have some of that evidence in the Charpentier district uh, because the houses there were built with that lumber.
which is really impressive and something too that I think is worth noting is that you know a lot of this history you were saying kind of starts in the 1840s and then kind of goes and for a lot of those buildings to still be standing despite what happened in 1910 mm-hmm. yeah. is impressive of course 1910 was the great fire that really hit our city mm-hmm. April 23rd of that year caused $750,000 of damage at that time which we kind of did some googling now equates to roughly $24 million today. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's one of the reasons why most of downtown Lake Charles is uh, brick rather than, than lumber. Before the 1910 fire, uh, downtown Lake Charles was also built of lumber. I mean, you had structures that were chock-a-block on Ryan Street, on Broad, uh, on Bilbo, and some of those streets that uh, it was all wood. Wood uh, shingles, wood siding, wood sidewalks. Everything was wood because that was the material that was available. And what the 1910 fire did was essentially clear out all of that early 19th century um, uh, architecture and allowed for downtown Lake Charles as we see it today to be constructed. Now, of course, downtown Lake Charles today has a lot of openings in those structures uh, uh, and a lot of the, the real Landmark buildings are gone, but that was part of the uh, 1970s movement to, to sort of clear out downtown Lake Charles and provide additional parking. But um, the buildings that that uh, that uh, uh, were gone in the 1910 fire, uh, which included the courthouse, the city hall, the Catholic church, uh, the uh, Williams Opera House, uh, uh, Rouse's Racket Store, and 107 other buildings, and then there were also spot fires throughout the community because it was a very intense blaze. The uh, sparks would go up into the sky and then fall, you know, 10 blocks over, and uh, families would put it out. Uh, but it, uh, it, it did, did give us a, a, a community that was built a little bit differently, and the three big monuments of recovery from the Great Fire, the Roman Catholic Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, the domed courthouse building, and the 1911 City Hall are all evidences of that that reconstruction, that desire to rebuild, and uh, they're they're all designed by architects, very famous architects actually at the time. They were Favreau and Lividay buildings. Favreau and Lividay came out of New Orleans to design those buildings, and they designed all three. And they apparently didn't talk to their clients together because none of them sort of align with anything else. The courthouse doesn't quite line up with the city hall and all that, but it's because there were three different customers, but and they created three wonderful buildings. I mean, they're spectacular buildings. If you, if you ever have a chance to look at details on, on any of those buildings, I mean, you're just in awe because they're like buildings that, that belong in you know New Orleans or New York or someplace like that. It's such a great opportunity to talk about the fact that when you're touching on downtown and the Charpentier Historic District, many people don't realize where that boundary is necessarily and where these gorgeous buildings are. And then just two or three blocks over, you can really take that walk through the Great Oaks, see all of these historic homes while being in this area of downtown that has been rebuilt and is currently being rebuilt and bustling there. And those like 1911, like you were saying, that's a gorgeous gallery that has, we've talked about the Black Heritage Gallery. There's multiple different organizations that call that space home and they all nod to the arts community and back to the history of our downtown Mm -hmm. community. Uh, Pretty much the boundary line between 
the downtown historic district, and downtown is a historic district on its own, and the National Register Charpentier District is pretty much Hodges Street. And it's kind of, uh, uh, Hodges Street sort of marks the line between the part of Lake Charles that burned, which was to the west of Hodges Street, and the part of Lake Charles that did not burn, which was to the east. What we see in the Charpentier District is what did not burn in the Great Fire of 1910. Um, also, you, you, you need to know that uh, there on that east side of Hodges Street, we do have uh, four, at least four really fabulous pre-1910 buildings that, that do exist. We have the, the um, Temple Sinai, you have the Masonic Temple, you have the uh, the 196 Federal Courthouse building, that limestone building on the corner of Hodges and Broad, which is a, a lawyer's office now, and you have the, uh, the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd. All of those buildings were on the part of the, the, uh, the city that did not burn, so either that building or the predecessor building in the case of the Masonic Temple, because the Masonic Temple was built in the, in the 1920s, um, they were all, they had already staked their claim there, and that dividing line is pretty much the dividing line between uh, downtown district and um, and uh, the Charpentier district. Uh, I want to add that there is an additional historic district, recognized historic district, Margaret Place, which uh, is also connected to the Great Fire. Margaret Place was developed uh, in, uh, in 1911, 1912, when the streetcar lines, uh, Lake Charles had streetcars at one time, and after the Great Fire, the streetcar lines were extended and those streetcar lines went past uh, uh, South Ryan Street, which is now uh, Dr. Michael DeBakey uh, Drive, uh, all the way down to Lake Street and uh, uh, to where Barb Pier is located. And uh, they developed that subdivision after the Great Fire. It was not fully developed until the Great Fire was done because people were, were, were moving away from the very densely packed downtown, which had burned, into Margaret Place into other uh, neighborhoods that were being developed at the very, very same time. And so the sub the, the what we call the streetcar subdivisions, uh, like Margaret Place and, and uh, uh, some of the Billboard Editions and some of those other parts of town in that uh, southwest uh, part of Lake Charles, uh, uh, where Magna Conception School is and, and the surrounding area there, those were all uh, part of the result of the Great Fire, too. Uh, we seem to forget, or many people forget, how how actually packed the city was before the Great Fire of 1910. Uh, the block, that very small block where 1911 City Hall is located now, before the Great Fire, there were 28 buildings on that block, <laughs> and they were wow. uh, they were chock a block. I mean, right next to each other, uh, with common walls and common roofs, and again, wooden shingles, uh, wooden walls, wooden uh, uh, sidewalks. Of course, it would be easy for a fire tip to zap all of that, and it did in 1910. I can only imagine what it would, you know, what the area would look like if not for the fire having so many wood buildings there, uh, especially because eventually the, the brick would have been there as well. Seeing the combo so close together would definitely be an interesting kind of visual from there. Now, you, you, you mentioned a lot of the different sites to see and a lot of the different buildings and the distinctions. What's really the best way for someone coming in to take in a kind of a tour, so to speak, of so much of this uh, Charpentier Historic District? Well, uh, luckily, there's an organization called uh, uh, Visit Like Charles 
that has put out. I think I know those guys. Great. I wonder who those guys are. But they are unbelievably helpful and have worked with preservation organizations and historical groups for years and years and years in trying to promote these areas. And there, there's a lot of literature that will allow you to, to sort of self-design a tour of uh, uh, downtown uh, Lake Charles and historic parts of Lake Charles. Um, what I would recommend is to use that as a basis. Uh, there are a couple of, uh, of websites that can be visited. The Calcasieu Historic Preservation Society is one, uh, but the Visit Lake Charles group, uh, they're very smart. They're very, they have a suburb staff that, that has put out, and I'm not getting any, I'm, folks, I'm not getting paid a penny for this, but <laughs> they are, um, they have put, uh, they have really worked very, very well with, with the, uh, the, uh, the content providers in order to develop uh, walking tours and riding tours uh, of, of the district. Now, one of the things that is a little surprising for visitors is that the historic districts in Lake Charles, both Margaret Place and the Charpentier District, are essentially residential historic districts. That means they're private homes. And uh, that means that the, the homes uh, are occasionally open for tours, but generally they're not open for tours. And uh, uh, although many people in Lake Charles are very friendly, if, if they're sitting on their porch and you're poking around looking. Sometimes they'll invite you right up into onto their house, which has happened occasionally. But uh, the best way of developing a tour is to actually sort of just throw yourself into the into the materials that are available at uh, Visit Lake Charles at the uh, Downtown Historical and Genealogical Library, which is very, very good at providing some, uh, some content so that you can plan on a, a tour. And so you, uh, a visitor who is uh, not from, from Lake Charles uh, can certainly admire the the beauty and the variety of the structures here and get a little bit of the history by following using the, the CVB's wonderful materials. Yeah, I know that we have on the website the Historic Calcasieu Parish Guide, and that's a digital version, or you can stop into the Welcome Center, and there's printed versions here. But I definitely want to nod on the beauty of the downtown as you're creating those walking tours, there are a few places that you can visit that we have talked about, and that is some of the historic cemeteries that we have. I know every November, for a number of years now, they've even had the Living Historic Cemetery Tour. That is a huge hit, um, and people of the community really come out. They're in full costume and showcase and tell the stories of those Inhabitants, yeah. Yes, (laughs) that's a um, great way of putting it. But there are those pieces that are among the beauty and the beautiful architecture that we Mm -hmm. do have the cemeteries Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Well, the cemeteries are are very important. They're open and available for for touring. And uh, uh, there are several. uh, uh, One of the very earliest, the Bilbo Cemetery, which is right at the epicenter of, of the interstate and the lake. Uh, actually goes way back to the very founding of the city. Uh, that's the location of Canton Munn Atkinson, which was the first military presence in southwest Louisiana, which was here to to so, sort of consolidate the American presence just after the Louisiana Purchase. Um, and um, uh, it was later bought by the Bilbo family, and they, they buried many of the original pioneer families, of that family in, in that particular cemetery. Um, Salier Cemetery, another pioneer family cemetery on South uh, on uh, South Ryan Street or Michael DeBakey Drive, has uh, the uh, it's a burial site of the Salier family and all their collaterals. Uh, Old Catholic Cemetery on Iris and 
uh, Common Street is a wonderful uh, uh, place to visit. Uh, there are some, uh, the, the Catholics here include uh, not only the French and the Spanish, but also there are Portuguese and Ilano uh, people that are, are buried in Lake Charles in that particular cemetery. And then maybe the granddaddy of them all, the, um, the cemeteries uh, on Broad Street, uh, uh, Graceland and Orange Grove, uh, which have uh, literally thousands of inhabitants make for uh, interesting walking. And it's also the location of the Avenue of Flags. Periodically, they'll, do, they'll put out the largest uh, assemblage of American casket flags in, in the country are on display there various times through the year to honor veterans and to honor people who, have, who are interred in those particular cemeteries. And then uh, if you're very, very lucky, sometimes you can visit Goss Cemetery, which is an endowed cemetery in, in at the foot of uh, Shattuck Street up in North Lake Charles, which is spectacular and has the burial sites of, of Daniel Goss, who was one of the, uh, uh, the people who brought the steam engine to southwest Louisiana and started the sawmills. And uh, that family has a beautifully endowed uh, cemetery up there. Unfortunately, it's gated. But if you know one of the Gosses, you can get in <laughs> and tour that. Walking the cemeteries is like a, a, a walk through the the history of the area, you'll find some of the graves are marked by uh, unusual markers. There's a, a, a camera tripod in stone marking uh, Bill Gabbard's uh, burial place in, in Orange Grove Cemetery. And of course, Orange Grove has the dubious distinction of having the last resting place of Tony Joe Henry, who uh, was the last woman to be convicted of murder and electrocuted in Louisiana. Uh, she is buried there at uh, the only one as well, right? The only one so far who has been uh, electrocuted for murder, and she was tried and convicted in Calcasieu Parish Courthouse, and uh, she had her three trials and was declared guilty at the very end. And they they brought the old Sparky, the electric chair, into the onto the premises of the Calcasieu Courthouse, and um, uh, interestingly enough, because this was a fairly new. Uh, technology, um, Gulf States Utilities at the time also sent a couple of <laughs> a couple of generator trucks to make sure that there would be enough power to run the chair. And uh, 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 Ms. Um, uh, Henry was uh, actually uh, convicted and, <clears throat> interestingly enough, uh, electrocuted in Lake Charles and buried in Lake Charles and did her crime and did her time and paid the price. Uh, it's a fabulous story as well, um, and uh, all of it takes place in the Calcasieu Courthouse, a wonderful domed Calcasieu Courthouse, the Favre and Livaday Courthouse, the beautiful courthouse downtown that that uh, some say is haunted by the ghost of this woman who was a very naughty person in her day. I mean, if she did half of what she was supposed to have done, it's still naughty, uh, but it's a, it's a you know a fascinating tale and uh, of course we would we would know probably much more about this but but at the time that she was convicted um, uh, America was just entering into World War II and so the the uh, war uh, report, reports and whatnot sort of took precedent over it you know the story of a, a woman murderess in South Louisiana and so that's why we don't know much more of her you know but she is buried here. Uh, there's some fabulous stories out there, guys. Fabulous.
Yeah, and, and I'm glad you had brought her up. I wanted to touch on, and between her and the cemetery talk, you know, everyone loves a good haunting story or type of ghost story. And I know we've got a handful that's all kind of, that ties all in, obviously, there to the Charpentier District. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there, are, there are several stories that, that connect with the, the district. There are at least three that come up to my mind right right away. Uh, one is that the uh, the house at 504 Ford Street, the old Reed Mansion, the Reed family homestead, uh, when it uh, when the uh, Reed uh, jailer at the time of the 1910 Great Fire had to find a place to put the prisoners because the jail burned down, uh, he took the prisoners and put them up into the attic of, of his family home uh, at 504 Ford. And... Um, there is the, the story that uh, one fateful day, one fateful night, uh, glass was heard broken and uh, there was a long penetrating scream because one of the prisoners tried to make an escape from the, from the, uh, the attic of this building, which is about 60 feet above the ground, and he did not make it. And uh, there is a, a, a legend that, that the, the sound of a, a piteous scream is heard you know, at certain times of the year in that neck of the woods. Uh, there, one of the bell houses, uh, a little bit further down on on Pine Street, there's a a ghost story of a a rocking chair on the front porch that uh, begins and and rock and and uh, uh, stops rocking without the wind involved at all. It just uh, does it on its own, and the story relates back to uh, uh, one of the bell women who impatiently waited for her men folk to come in at lunchtime from their mill. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, on that particular story, the uh, arms of the rocking chair supposedly never get dusty, which is an odd thing. But uh, the rocking chair and the arms not getting dusty is kind of an odd twist to that particular story. That house also has an interesting uh, 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 tale that that goes from the um, fact that there was a widow's walk on the very top and the same woman, the one who was impatiently waiting for her menfolk to come at lunch, would go up to the widow's walk to watch her husband and her sons uh, walk from the mill back to the house. She didn't want them to go through uh, what was called Battle Row. Uh, Battle Row is sort of a, the blue light district of Lake Charles uh, along Railroad Avenue, and it was a, a place that was renowned for having um, uh, saloons and Houses of low ill repute, and it was where the railroad men and the sawmill workers and and the cowboys would all come together and have wild times and wild fun, uh, with uh, you know backroom action and and gambling and everything else. And um, uh, the mayors of Lake Charles would periodically try to to put down all of the bad things going on 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 Battle Row. And uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for the people on Battle Row, most of the property there was actually owned by by uh, uh, members of the city council and the mayor. So they, they would put up a show of, of trying to get rid of it, but they were actually profiting from the activities there. But anyway, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Bell would go up onto the roof and she would actually watch her men walk home from there without going through Battle Row. And if they went through Battle Row, she gave them a a licking when they got got to the house, because she didn't want her menfolk to be despoiled by the the seduction of of the uh, the folks in Battle Row. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a it was a wild time. It, it like Charles had a, a, a there was always been a work hard, play hard sort of attitude in, in Southwest Louisiana, and it it I mean it started as early as the the late eighteenth century when the, the area was first first settled. Uh, it was a lonely place out of the prairie, and when when the cowboys were going after cattle or when the sawmill workers were were done with their their day. Uh, the, when the farmers were, were through, they, they wanted to play hard and enjoy themselves, and Battle Row was one of those options. But there were also other venues for, for entertainment besides Battle Row, but that was, uh, that was one of the, the first entertainment spots uh, in, in the area. Uh, Battle Row was off of Railroad Avenue, both north and south of Railroad Avenue, uh, from about uh, Ryan Street to uh, where Enterprise Boulevard is now. Of course, there's very little element of anything up there now except for Axe Theater, which is still there. But at one time, it was a, 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 there were buildings from one end to the other that, that uh, engaged in all sorts of, of services, uh, saloons, restaurants, boarding houses, uh, all of them having back rooms with gambling or cockfighting or whatever because there are all sorts of entertainment, of houses of prostitution, uh, all sorts of things that uh, were, were part of the picture of the work hard, play hard attitude of Southwest Louisiana. Well, it's good we kind of cleaned up that, uh, that image, but I think the, the spirit <laughs> is still there in Southwest Louisiana of the work hard, play hard, oh, and oh, it yeah. really fits into what we offer as a destination. It's a place that it's a lot of hardworking individuals, but we know how to have fun. We know how to cut loose. We know how to have you know, a good Absolutely. food and all of those things. So it, it's it, just funny how that works. It, 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 it's the DNA of the location. And it's, it might be a little bit more wholesome now, but it's still, it's still in place. And it's, it's, uh, it, it's what makes uh, for a spicy and wonderful life in southwest Louisiana. I mean, we do like to say that Lake Charles, we are the best of Louisiana. A little bit spicy. <laughs> Louisiana's playground. Exactly. Louisiana, absolutely, and it, it's it's very perceptive uh, that title was used because there there are predecessors to pretty much everything that's going on. Uh, Adventure Point, which is that wonderful development off of, on Country Club Road that's being developed, actually had a predecessor at Bar Pier, where uh, at the end of the railroad, at the end of the streetcar line, it was a pleasure pier with uh, with uh, boats that you could rent and and a, a beach and picnic areas and. All sorts of attractions and a, a pavilion where you could dance, and it was one of the more popular places because the floor had cracks over the lake, and so it was a, it had natural air conditioning, and uh, we're talking about the turn of the century here, and uh, it made for a, a great place to be, and that that idea that theory is still in place with the the Port Wonder development and Adventure Point development. We still have venues like that, that there's a tradition of that sort of thing happening here. There's nothing really new. It's just reinterpreted to deal with new needs. I think that really showcases where Lake Charles in southwest Louisiana is and what we have on our horizon, just getting back to that place. We've been rebuilding since basically the start of our community here, and we are in the middle of that right now and bringing so many of these facets we've talked to to modern time, per se, and hopefully in another 100 years, somebody will be talking about it, maybe on a podcast, maybe not, <laughs> about all of the different pieces of history that we are leaving on Lake Charles in this community right now. Yeah, at that time, podcasts will just be thoughts. Like you're just able to exchange thoughts. There really you go. Quick. It'll all be AI. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
Thanks again to Adley for joining us here on the show. And thank you for taking time out of your day to join us here on the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please, please, could you leave us a rating or a review? And if you leave us a nice note there, we'll be able to maybe even give you a shout out on an upcoming podcast. Uh, letting you know that we appreciate you every time that you do leave those ratings or reviews and the listens that you give us. We promise every time that you do it, it helps us grow our audience and continue to bring you valuable conversations about everything happening here in Southwest Louisiana. Go to visitlakecharles.org slash podcast for more episodes. Of course, all those events and concerts happening in the community and where to eat. I'm Anna Strider. And I'm Brady Reynard. Thanks again for coming play on Louisiana's Playground. C'est tu.